ends well boxing. You're welcome on in. Ireland's Boxing Weekly Podcast on all things amateur, professional, domestic and international. If you'd like to listen to any or all of a back catalogue of almost 200 episodes, perhaps you just want to find the links to our YouTube channel or any of our social media platforms. Go to www.endswellpod.com on the past, present and future of Irish boxing. You are, of course, welcome on into episode number 198. <laughs> and what a week. It is fucking unbelievable. I mean, I've, I've given him quite a few opportunities. He's been worth it all, all the way. But what he has done, to be quite honest with you, is absolutely disgusting. And I always want to give athletes the benefit of the doubt to say, okay, you took something, you, you know, someone gave you something to take, or you didn't know what you were taking. But do you know what is the absolute liberty about all of this? Is the way that he, after he failed that test on Monday, to say, I swear, I've not taken anything. It's an absolute... And you know what? It makes me sick, sick that someone would go to those lengths in a fight. People have died in the ring. I won't try to fool you. Like, some have been trying to fool the boxing world this week and say that that piece I've taken from Edward of Hearn is relevant and referring to Conor Ben this week. It's not, but it could and probably should. Will he be judged and held accountable by the same standards that big baby Gerald Miller has? Doubt it very much. But before I get into all that, I want to say thank you once again for the response, the reaction for recent episode. It is hard to believe it's 13 years since the late, great Darren Sutherland passed. I believe as both a fan and a boxing follower. And more the time goes by, the more ways boxing passes through phases and the more frequent we become to being let down by potential, the more certain, more adamant I am that Darren would have delivered on every ounce of his potential. So thanks to each and every one of you who have taken time to listen, like, get in touch, comment, and just give their version or their story or their thoughts on what Darren was or what he may have been. A special mention for Darren's coach, Jimmy Halpin, who I speak to on a regular basis and learn from. Jimmy was in touch with a very special and personal message that truly meant the world. And I can assure each and every listener, and Jimmy and anybody else out there, for as long as this podcast continues, at least Darren's memory will never be forgotten. And not to forget, of course, the relevance of episode number 194 with Shotgun Shannon O'Connell gains and grows as the IBF title fight with Ebony Bridges is called for on December the 10th at the Leeds Direct Arena as the co-main event to Josh Warrington's latest mandatory defence. We'll get a little bit into that as we get closer to the time, but again, thanks to all who took time to listen. And if for any reason you haven't got a chance to listen to either our episode, click any of the links in the show notes below, which will take you through to the previous episodes, or go to www.endswellpod.com and you'll find them all there also. Joining me and you on this episode is our pal, our co-host, all the way from the land down under, and just back from his brief sojourn and visit here to the homeland is the one and only Binny Fallen. Tell us all how you found us, Bin. It was brilliant. Al. The best part about going home was that you avoided it. <laughs> I asked for that, didn't I? We'll uh, definitely hear all about that and a little bit more in a few minutes' time. But looking at the boxing world this week, and I've done so through my hands, my head in my hands, at, at, to say the least. It's been, it's been frustrating. It's been... 
it's been cringeworthy and it's playing straight into the hands of all the naysayers and all the haters and all those who claim that boxing is unlawful and is barbaric and it's it's ruthless and it's hard to argue impossible to argue it this week the world right now is it's changing at a warp speed and without wanting or trying to sound old or curmudgeon or whatever way you want to word it almost all aspects of daily life have and are changing and mostly for the good mostly for the good and i'm not against change but not all not all in boxing in boxing it appears to be the opposite very little appears to be the same other than of course the fundamentals the the basic requirements of say bedrocks that boxing is built on dedication discipline resilience and fortitude willingness and ability to to, to push your mind and your body to places that it shouldn't go it's, at times it, it's not designed to go and certainly not too often strength character and essentially just to get up when when you can't they they all remain in place they're all they're all steadfast but a lot of the charisma the character the charm if you like the willingness to face and fight all comers any comers and willingness to stay busy to to keep yourself not just taking over but to stay in shape to stay ready and fight anybody that wants to fight whenever there's a fight available and responsibility and an involvement in your to run your own career essentially for the most part all gone whether you're an, an apprentice plumber an apprentice electrician whether you're a carpenter whether you're working on a production line whether you're street, sweeping streets whether you're in a chip shop no matter what it is you do you do it on a daily basis all day every day five to six times a week sometimes seven it's how you become familiar. It's how you perfect your trade. It's how you become the master craftsman. It is important for us to learn and adapt. No, it, it, it's, it's key. It's key for us to change, to learn and adapt in the right way. But that in itself is a huge fear. It's a, it's a big enough fear for many to prevent even considering change. At a time in 2022 where bicycles that we used to cycle are battery powered, Scooters we used to scoot on are battery-powered, and, and even cigarettes that we used to smoke are battery-powered too. And it'd be remiss of me or anybody else to say that there haven't been improvements, that haven't been changes, and that for the most part, boxing hasn't become more rounded, particularly on this side of the pond where we see the BBOC, medical compliance, the standards, the bars, the levels, everything, the requirements from fighters are just the A standard the triple A standard and boxers are now required to comply and pass rigorous medical testing on an annual basis to fill out every medical compliance form to have their scans done to jump through hoops that for many it wouldn't be worth the effort but to make sure to to the absolute nth degree things are as safe and as certified as they possibly can be so many different facets and aspects to what's gone on this week. When we're looking closely at the the Chris Eubank Jr. and the Conor Ben fight, first and very foremost, before I get into any sort of intricacies or get into deep in the weeds or anything like that, the very first thing that came to mind when this fight was made, and as long as it carried on and 
right up until today when I'm awaiting to see if it goes or doesn't go ahead and hoping it doesn't, if I'm being brutally honest. But before any of that, the big question came to mind. Why? What's what's the point? Why are these two guys, there's a nine pound weight differential. One is a career long 147. The other is a middle stroke super middleweight. And by those very same credentials and those very same reasonings or logic used by the same boxing board, the BBBOC, who refused to sanction a fight recently in Belfast between James McGivern and Tony Midlin. What's the difference? Why? No genuine clarification. No one clear reason that says that bout was scratched. Fans are left scratching their head. Wondering. Questioning. What's the difference? And, And without a very clear reasoning and set of reasonings, you're you're allowed and you're left to draw the only one conclusion. That it's money. It's money. Greed. I want to know or hear why the same board refused a fight between two fellas at the similar point of their career, yet approved the fight between a 21-0 welterweight novice and a 32-2 middleweight contender. Add to the equation a £10 rehydration restriction on Eubank's behalf, and you set the scene for a very worrying imbalance with two fighters who quite simply just shouldn't be in the same ring together. And as we know, in any fight, in every fight, there is a percentage that can't be accounted for, that you just don't know what's going to happen, whether it's a cut, whether it's a broken hand, whether it's a concussion, whether it's all of the above. But you don't need to be a boxing geek, a boxing freak, a hardcore fan to to be able to recall at least at least one or a few of the brutal, tragic and horrific outcomes that have, these boxing families have been associated with. Now, don't get this as me pointing the finger and saying it's this they're wrong for this. This this is it's not that at all. It's not. But when you go back, Chris Eubank Sr. against Michael Watson, nineteen ninety one, Watson is stretchered from the ring I believe, passed away on different occasions and has been left with catastrophic brain injuries, has never been the same since. Nigel Benn, Gerald McClellan, only four years later, horrific and catastrophic brain injuries. Gerald has never, ever been the same since. And then, 2016, Chris Eubank Jr. himself and Nick Blackwell left Nick in a life-changing, brain-damaged state. All of these things considered. Everything taken into account, and then throw in on top of that this week a failed drug test. It's enough. It is enough. It's just enough for a fight that doesn't really matter. It doesn't make sense. It never made sense. And one of the things that you keep getting drawn back to, or at least I keep getting drawn back to, is why? What's the point? For what reason was there such an interest or such a such a, a will? Or, and why were these promoters and... and TV companies so keen to push this fight over the line and, and then when it did get over the line to promote it with such intensity and right up until the end right up until now until I'm not sure what the outcome is going to be why? it's it's a fight that doesn't mean anything that can't lead to anything it's not even nostalgic they're not born rivals they are sons of fellas who were absolute and utter warriors who carved their way from the streets, 
from the wrong side of the track all the way to different levels of success. Chris Eubank Sr., this side of the pond where he is a, a, a household name in the UK. Never really fulfilled, never really pursued or followed it. Made a career of beating fighters who were of a certain age, who had an undefeated record and never never fought a southpaw. And traded off that and, and used those as his USPs, but without a shadow of a doubt. A teak, tough, hard, died in the wool warrior. Nigel Benn took everything that he did on this side of the world and moved it across and fought at different levels in the US to varying degrees of success and is known in in circles, boxing circles in the US. But you have to realise, and it's it, if it's not the reason, it's certainly one of the main reasons for this fight, filling such a huge gap in the boxing calendar. And if you look at the boxing calendar this year and you think of the names that we haven't seen for whatever reason, nobody's asking why. Nobody is saying, well, this fight is going ahead and there's such huge interest in it because. Why is nobody in the boxing platforms, why is nobody in media circles asking the questions, why is there such a keen demand, such a willingness to push this fight ahead regardless? Why would you even look into legal representation or a way to try and make this fight happen when you know that there has been such a blatant at least question mark over over one of the fighters and if you've been honest about it and you've been really honest about it it's the biggest one of the biggest factors playing into all of this lack of action in the boxing and meaningful boxing has to be the collapse the shutdown by the american authorities of a certain three-letter anglo-irish boxing promotional outfit so many young Irish fighters who have been due to make their debut this year and who are promised fights on certain cards in certain countries and then right at the very last moment, sometimes the day of the fight, it's cancelled. And then you scratch the surface a little bit and you find out that the certain people who have never admitted it and have never been asked simply weren't allowed into the country. The fight couldn't happen. The desperate need to push ahead with Ben Eubank, I believe, was a desperate attempt to fill the empty coffers of the likes of The Zone, of the likes of Matchroom, and everybody else, where the trickle effect filters all the way down, eventually getting to the boxers. And you can listen to this and say, oh, you're full of shit, that doesn't make sense, you're wrong. That's fine, that's fine, you do that. But show me something else. Show me a reason why so many fights. Show me a reason why, and this is an episode that's going to come in the very near future, why... Have we been used? Why have we had an happening, an occurrence in 2016 in a hotel in Dublin used as a stick to beat us with for the last six, seven years? Why has the governing body on this island refused to allow fights go ahead on this island? Why? And above all, why are people with platforms on this island and all around the world who have made very great strides and have, I won't say been paid, but in boxing and in boxing media, access is used as currency. And I've learned that very quickly, that if you're willing to play the game, if you're willing to ask the questions, the nice ones, to massage the egos, you'll get all the access in the world. And I've been blessed, blessed by very special people to give me access to their knowledge, to their experience, to their life in the game. And if it were not for that advice at times, I'd 
I know for a fact I wouldn't be doing this podcast anymore because there's times where you come and you just, like this week, you've got your head in your hands and you're thinking, what's the point? What is the point? How, how, how can you honestly stand over or be proud of this? And having spoken to people like Dex Bellman, who's become a really good pal of mine, his mentor, his manager, Carl Greaves, and you remember what they went through following the death of the late Scott Westgard. And I speak to Scott's brother, Adam, and you realise the devastation that's left by a family who have lost somebody after a death in the ring. I spoke to Kieran Farrell not long after starting this podcast, and excuse, forgive me if I'm getting a little bit worked up about this this week, because these are the names that come to mind. Not the greed, not the fat cats, not the arrogant, belligerent, I didn't do anything wrong. Sorry, mate. Sit down for a minute and remember people like Kieran Farrell, who fought tooth and nail for his very life following a battle in the ring with Anthony Crawler. And even more recently, I spoke to Lisa McClellan, who has dedicated her whole life to being the full-time carer for her brother, one of the most feared men in boxing in his day, the G-man, Joel McClellan, who of course had that war in Manchester with Nigel Benn all those years ago. They're the people that come to my mind today. They're the people that are important today. And if we don't learn from what happened to those in boxing, well then you're absolutely insulting them and you are opening the door for it to happen again. And I ask, I'm going to round it out with this very last point. If we had an opportunity to make a decision that would either lead to the possibility of another Heysel Stadium or another Hillsborough disaster, or another Bradford City Stadium arena. If we had an opportunity to make a decision that would either stop that from ever happening again, or open the door to it being a 50-50, what would that decision be? Absolutely delighted to have Vinny back on from the land down under. Haven't had a a, a brief but uh, enjoyable splint home here on, on in the motherland. Vinny, it's great to have you back, man. How, how did you find being back home? It was brilliant, Al. The best part about going home was that you avoided me. Yeah, yeah it was brilliant, bud. Good for the souls. Gives you, yeah. another, gives you a new direction again. It does. Ireland grounds you. It's, uh, it's an up and down world, Benny, in the best of times. It's, uh, the world boxing is a crazy place. Irish boxing is, a, is an even more crazy niche place. But these last few days in the boxing world, have um, we've just been chatting off air, have me very much got my head in my hands, but... You're ever pragmatic, you're ever realist, and uh, what's your thoughts on, on, on Eubank Penn so far? It's it's just vintage professional boxing, as in, there is no rules, there's no rules, you know, the, there's no template to follow, there's no structure, there is no, you know, it, basically anything can happen, money talks. I know to say when you're over the target, you attract flack, but... I, I don't know what the target is with this one. In the vacuum that's been left by a lack of fights, I think this is one that probably yep. probably has greased the wheels and has seen an opportunity for for more so for promotional outfits and for TV companies to to um, top up their revenue. Having made weight and having known the struggles that it takes, nine pounds. Talk to me about it. I mean, if you put, if you put nine nine pounds on the ground, say as a weight, and you pick it up in your hand and you feel that, that how heavy that is, that's the difference between how hard or he can eat you. When you feel the actual physical difference of it, it's, yeah, it's a lot. They were going to find a way to make this fight no matter what. The rules were always going to be bent. 
The bigger picture for us as Irish fight lovers and as people who both know Dennis Hogan and know the impact that the man has made, not just on Irish boxing. It is exciting. Um, I said, uh, you know, that this is my last go around, so really it's all it's all or nothing for me. You know, before I always knew that I'd pick myself up and go again, but this is genuinely my last go around, and, and uh, here we are now with, with the fight that I, that I wanted. We got it here, so I can't thank everyone enough. From no limit to, to Steve, to everyone who's who's managed to, to get through a tumultuous negotiation period to get the fight here. Thank you very much, and, and uh, now it's up to me uh, to win that fight and uh, get the title here in Australia. Shows. And I know I still have to go win it, but it's all about you know making sure that you get every every angle that you can in. And you know I, I, the most exciting part for me is I get to change. You know I get men everywhere. And I'm the guy who got ripped off in, in Mexico, but now I get the opportunity to be. You know, the guy who got ripped off and came back and got a strap. You know, the last belt that, that I need in my cabinet is the one that says world champion. I've got 10, 10 other belts with everything else on there. You know, my feeling, the, the level of respect I have for him. He probably is as close as to a model professional boxer in terms of how he respects not just the rules, his opponent, himself. He's never lost dignity in anything he's ever done. He doesn't sacrifice it to sell anything. Maybe his destiny was to be the fighter that got robbed, as cruel as that sounds. You can't really control your own destiny in boxing. It's that dark a business, if you know what I'm saying. I'd like to think it's it's destiny. I think I know exactly where you're coming from, and I think in the immediate <laughs> aftermath and the want and the drive to, to prove that it wasn't a one-off and, and to prove that he was there on merit which yeah. he was I think that was then what we saw the quick follow-up where he, he jumped into the fight with Charlo which looking at it back and now I remember looking at it then it doesn't get any easier to look at and then following that we saw all that happened with, with Zoo and the injury and everything else and, and again it's it was that thing that want to strike while the iron is hot is that fair? He was a world champion he is a world champion but he just he didn't get or won't get the history books for accreditation for it. But he, we, we both know it's been his lifelong dream. He goes into a fight at the weekend against a fellow who I spoke to here just during lockdown, just before that very first fight in um, Matrum mm. Fight Camp with Ted Cheeseman. A, a fight that I believe and many believe since that Sam Eglinton won. It's a clash of two total different styles. And I can tell you from speaking to Sam myself, he is one of the nicest, most genuine, humble fellas. Ten days out from fight camp... How are you keeping, champ? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Tired, tired, but I'm, I'm good. Hard work's nearly done. Every single boxer has a story. Every single person in boxing has a story and a path that gets them to where they are now. And yeah. Yours is a different story completely again. I had my son at 17. Um, I got myself a job. Uh, I was a forklift driver and I enjoyed it, pal. I'm no joke, I enjoyed it. You know, I was flying around on a forklift in a steel factory. It was... Um, it was quite, you know, it was good. It was six till six, so I was working a faction. I enjoyed it. I was earning money, and I got made redundant. Me and Craig Cunningham went to the same amateur club, um, and obviously he was turning over, you know, and doing it all right. And I heard about the journeyman thing, and I said, "Look, Craig, I need to come speak to your trainer, manager, whatever, and see if you can do that with me." You know, I heard that they go away and they box each weekend, win, lose, or draw. You get paid. All over that. Get me on that. Um, and he said, "Yeah, come up and have a chat." Um, and, that, and I went into the gym, it was John Pegg's gym, and it's just gone from there, really, snowballed. Pro boxing really wasn't a dream for the young Sam at all? No, not even. Like, I mean, the amateur thing I only done because it separated me from my mates, you know, it's something that no one else done. You know, I'd done it on my own. 
Um, and that was it. Like I wouldn't, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't even know how to turn professional if it weren't for Craig Cunningham. Luckily enough, I, I spoke to Craig because he was doing it. He said, "Yeah, just come up and have a chat." And of course, you teamed up then with 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 the great John Pegg, who has been by your side pretty much the whole way through it. Yeah, and it's just snowboard from there. But, but as a kid, I mean, I couldn't like like you just name them boxers from Birmingham. I couldn't have told you any of their names. I told John from the start, look, I want to be a journeyman. And he took me in for a spa. And I, the first spa was like Max Maxwell, D Mitchell was in, Terry Carruthers. And as soon as I got at the spa, the first spa I ever done with John, and John said, I don't know about this um, journeyman thing. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, that's what I've come here for. And he just said, there's probably too much fire there. I said, well, let's try it first before we, <laughs> before we, uh, before we just pack it in. And he went right then. So we got our first fight, and just as John said, you know, he did go tits up. Someone hit me in the face, and I went all about. I went all out to win the fight. Defeats—they're not going to define him in any way, shape, or form. But his fighting style, yeah. polar opposite, isn't it, to what Dennis is coming, Brent? Yeah, styles make fights. How, how much can we expect from this? I don't have a level of expectation set out or who will win. I think Dennis is. He negates people very well. He takes away their assets, their weapons. He nullifies people. And if he can do that, people get frustrated. He's a round winner. He ain't gonna, he's not gonna knock, he's not a knockout artist. You even have to look at Sam Elkins' face. This boy's a bulldog. You're right there. Dennis will give the angles. Yeah. He'll, he'll never go out the same way yeah. he comes in. He'll, he'll, he's tricky. Yeah. He made life very, 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 he made life, I would say he made life so uncomfortable for Jaime Munguia that, uh, we have seen Jaime Munguia very reluctant to take a step near any such some of a similar fighter since it'll be impossible to get a rhythm against him really you know and the he key does. thing here Benny is as well if, if, it couldn't be in Ireland and in, in his uh, beloved homeland and where, where he, he represents so 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 proudly but is also cognizant and respectable enough to know that Australia gave him a new start it gave him a new lease on life and it gave him everything that he has not gave him but presented him with the opportunity to earn what he has now a beautiful family he's got beautiful children and he's he's at the stage of his career now where I hate to say it and it genuinely pains me to say it that this could well be the last time we see Dennis win, lose or draw. You've fought for three versions of world titles so far and you're about to fight for a fourth against Sam Eggington. Do you feel that there's a bit of destiny about this fight for you? Yeah, I really do. Like, There's, a, there's always been a feeling to me that because I've been on the road so much, I've always thought, if I could just get a, a title fight here in Australia, I started to look like you know that was going to be you know not going to happen in my career, and then boom, all of a sudden this all came along. It's now here. We go back to Newcastle, where you were the opponent essentially against Tim Zoo, and now you're going to have all those fans behind you. That was the thing about the start of this is it, it, we, we can banish some demons. What a, what a turnaround from from 18 months questioning where my career is at and. You know, what can I do and can I improve to being here and, you know, winning a world championship in this exact same place? And, you know, that does feel like destiny to me right now in fate. Where do you think your mind will go when you've got the belt? Do you think you'll think about growing up in Ireland, your grandfather that you talked about? Will you think about fights like Munguia and the disappointment or your family now or your life here in Australia? What's it going to... What's going to be the focus, do you think? I know you're trying to draw a tear because you're close to it, but I do think there'll be a tear. There'll be a tear, like, it's just, it all come together, and it could hit me like a, like a punch, you know? And, you know, like I've even said, you know, people are talking about, you know, the next day, you know, and, and the people want to stay and celebrate and, and all of that, and that's... 
But I'm starting to feel like I think if I win this, I could just be on a ball in the couch for about a day, you know, trying to wrap my head around it, trying to, over, trying to come to terms with the emotion. A big motivation for me and something that stays with me is um, I was talking to Aria, my daughter, and she was telling me about the, the, the world title, and she's kind of like, she's getting smart enough to understand, and she says, um, oh, Daddy, I hope you win. I really hope you win. So that means a lot to me. And, and just before him, in the co-main event, we have a character that's larger than life. It's very rare we see an Irish fella who will proudly declare himself as super. He's a character and a half, isn't he? He's a genuine character. It's not a bravado or, you know, you know, he has that kind of sharp Dublin wit as well. That quick fire humour that, you know, most people, it would actually, you know, it would evade. But I've actually a couple of questions for you myself, Blake. One of the boys showed me a video on the way up here where you're saying... You're going to knock me out and give half it to mental health. Are you mad in the fucking head, man? <laughs> how, are you, how are you going to knock me out, man? You couldn't uh, knock, you couldn't knock salt, snow with a wet rope. Uh, I'll correct that. I said, if somehow. Oh, if, if, yeah. if. Fuck, if this ceiling falls down, <laughs> mate. Sorry. You don't, get, you don't get 15G bonuses on ifs. Sorry, big daddy. Well, I've actually something for you. It's your birthday on Saturday night, isn't it? Friday. Friday, how old? 30, 30 and 40, baby. Well, you know what I've got for you, mate? I got you an early birthday present. Saturday night's a lot, though. I even got you the super quick pick, yeah? Because you have just about as much chance of fucking winning that. And I think he does it with the glint in his eye. People have been fooled by, certainly his last couple of opponents, they've taken him for a mug. And they've taken him as this fool, Egypt, who goes in there and he's just going to be the jester to get the crowd. And then yeah. they realise, oh shit, we've got a live one here in front of us. You know, he's, not, he's tough, boy. He's tough. Do you know what I mean? He can, he, he can go into the trenches big time. By the time this episode goes out, there is no doubt there will be a decision have made, rightly or wrongly. And I, for one, hope that the fight is off and a full and thorough investigation is ha- carried out and the guilty party is held to account. Because if it's not, if any of those actions fail to take place, boxing as a sport, its credibility, its credentials, and its its place at the very top tier of sport in the world is under serious jeopardy. And last, but by no means least, a special word to my pal, to the man who has been flying the flag for Irish professional boxing at the very top tier. He's become a very close pal of mine. I was fortunate to be able to connect Dennis Hogan and Wayne McCullum. He goes into battle against another previous guest on this podcast and in any other fight at any other time anywhere else in the world on Saturday night I would be rooting for Sam Eglinton but I'm sorry tonight mate it's all about my pal Ireland's Dennis Hogan and Dennis to say that I'm wishing you the very best of Irish luck and love it doesn't even come close to finally have that belt wrapped around your waist and to be able to say and then you it's the stuff we've always spoke about Dennis it's the stuff we've always uh Certainly you've always dreamed about and it's the stuff that I've always wished for for you and your beautiful family. And I wish you nothing but the best on Saturday night. We'll be rooting for you every step of the way.